everybody, it's Pastor Nicole Schreiber, excited to bring to you the fourth bonus podcast in our series, Blessed. We are really just thinking about this summer and how we're hoping you're enjoying the weather. You're outside, you're riding bikes, you're at the beach, you're traveling, you're doing all the things that we do in the summer. And we wanted to push out an extra bonus podcast so that you would have just maybe an extra 15 or 20 minutes to sit and listen to the Word of God and really begin to um, understand and, and absorb more of it. And so this past June, all the weeks we were focusing on the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and that just brilliant sermon that Jesus preached about how we can be more um, kingdom focused, how we can act Uh, more kingdom. And so we're going to just unpack that a little bit more today on this fourth and final uh, bonus podcast for the Blessed series. Today I want to talk a little bit more about blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God and exactly what that means. And if you were here uh, that last Sunday, we talked a lot about how there are different ways to fight our battles, Uh, but Jesus is not uh, a pacifist. He is not someone who didn't act or do anything, Uh, but he is not violent in any way. He would not uh, repay evil for evil or um, give consequences uh, to those, uh, even what they deserve. He is so merciful. But there's a third way, and that is the way that he allowed, he he had God fight his battles for him, uh, that even when he was on the cross, um, he could have called God and he would have, um, saved him with with legions of angels, but he didn't. He endured the price and the cost for us, and and as he did that, he fought the battle of sin. He fought it in a way that we would have never understood. That is far above even our own understanding. But he fought that battle of sin and of of evil, and he he defeated it. He was victorious as he rose again in three days. And so we talked about how being a peacemaker does not mean that we just roll over, that we're passive, that we do nothing. Uh, But what it does mean is that we allow God to fight our battles. And so today, uh, just this bonus material, I want to talk a little bit more about some specific ways that we can resolve conflict, um, what the scripture says about it. So I want to focus on two passages today. The first comes from Romans 12, uh, verse 16 through 21. And it says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so I want to talk a little bit about what are some concepts we can learn from that Romans 12 passage uh, in regards to some of the conflicts that we experience in our lives. Um, Romans 12 gives us some specific steps, and I want to talk about those. The first is we need to be aggressive in pursuing peace. Uh, We need to be aggressive in pursuing peace. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. This is the first step toward conflict resolution. If you're not on good terms with someone, you need to go and work it out immediately. And that's what the scripture calls us to do, that we cannot live for months and months and years and years in conflict with someone because we are too prideful to go before them or because we are too fearful to go before them or because we just don't want to deal with it. We have to be aggressive at peacemaking. That is what kingdom-focused people are. Second, we must be humble. 
Paul continues to tell us in verse 16 to not be haughty, but to be humble. And, and humility is a great way to bring a conflict to a quick end. Humility is a great way to bring a conflict to a quick end. When we're able to come before someone and really understand what we did incorrectly or what we did to hurt the other person, uh, we can really get a lot further than walking in with an airtight argument on what we believe we did correct. Another thing that the scripture teaches us is that we need to be positive. Um, in Romans 12, uh, 17, it says, do what is honorable. So as you interact with people, you focus on the things in them that are strong. You focus on the things in them that are valiant, that are virtuous. Even if it is difficult at times to come up with something uh, completely positive or to come up with something that is, that is um, something to be praised in someone, you should be positive, do what is honorable, don't focus on their weaknesses, uh, but focus on their strengths and the things they did do right in the middle of the conflict. Fourth, if we want to improve at resolving conflict, we need to be peaceable. Uh, Romans 12, 18 says, live peaceably. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? We were talking about how he's saying as a beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers for their children of God. We need to be people who are peaceable, who want to live in peace with other people, and we'll do whatever it takes to get there. Fifth, we must be forgiving forgiving. Verse 19 says, never avenge yourself. Forgiveness is moving from you owe me to you owe me nothing. Just adding that one word, but it means so much. Moving from you owe me to you owe me nothing. Forgiveness is this choice to release the person from obligation that resulted when they hurt you. And, and there's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. We are people, we are human, and we all have um, just our own perspectives and and, and they, it is impossible to live in good relationship without having to offer and extend forgiveness. And I believe Christ made it that way so that we could understand what he does for us. Um, but we really need to get to the point where in the middle of a conflict, we can look at someone and say, you have let that person off the hook. They have no obligation um, that they owe you nothing and that Christ will avenge. Christ is the one who will uh, make what is wrong right. Uh, another thing we learned from this passage in Romans is we need to be kind. Um, Romans 12.20 is teaching that kindness will heap burning coals on your enemy's head. So in other words, you've heard this expression before, kill them with kindness. Um, love people in a peaceful way. That's God's way. Uh, give an opportunity to work through your merciful kindness. Um, if you find ways to bless people that have hurt you. If you have find ways to bless people that have uh, wronged you. In fact, I would encourage you to think of a way that you can do that. And then as an act of, of dying to your own agenda and dying to your own flesh, that you would act upon that. The seventh thing I think we believe we, we learn from this Romans passage is um, if in order to improve our conflict resolution, we must be strong. We need to endure. Uh, we need to not overcome evil with evil, but overcome it with good. Uh, that we must really go into it with the strength and the joy of who Jesus is and who he says he is and that he sees justice and he wants it more than we even want it. And because of that, we can trust him that he um, he, he will do what, what is best. I love how Joyce Meyer puts it. She says that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you work for him. You are on God's payroll. 
And when you are hurt or you are wronged on the job, that God is the one in charge of the workman's comp. And that he not only pays us back everything that, that we lost, but even more, a double portion of that. Because he's a good, good father. And he is the one who will make things right. And we do not have to fight to, um, you know, hurt someone else's reputation. We don't have to fight to, um, you know, make someone else look bad or get what they deserve. Because that's not our job. Our job is to extend mercy, be a peacemaker, try to build bridges actively, aggressively, make for good relationships, and then let God bring the peace and the justice that only he can and, and trust that he will. Um, the second passage that I want to look at today together is um, from Matthew 18. And this is a pretty popular passage um, that talks a lot about conflict and how we have to have a plan. And I love how Jesus just lays this out for us so well. Um, he just shows us exactly what to do. So I want to read it to you, Matthew 18, 15 through 20. So if you're in conflict with someone, this is what Christ says to do. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about everything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. And so let's break this down. In verse 15, uh, it says, If a brother sins against you, that you should go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Now, I think most of us fail right here. (laughs) This is... Um, actually on step one where we often fail we, we mull it over in our mind we tell two or three of our closest friends our mom our hairstylist and after that we replay in our heads how the fight will play out ending with everyone siding with us and cheering passionately because someone stood up to that nasty jerk and the scripture says simply if he sins against you and it's not a needless argument go show him his fault just between the two of you And I can imagine God in his very fatherly way saying, you know, that should take care of it. That should take care of it. If people come calmly and mercifully, peacemaking, wanting to build bridges, and they say, hey, this was offensive, this hurt me, that the other person should be able to realize, understand, they could ask forgiveness, and then that would be the end of it. Step two says, but if you will not listen, Take one or two others with you. Now, in Bible times, um, synagogues also served as local courts in Jewish communities. And so Christians at that time um, transferred the same function to churches. So in the book of Deuteronomy, the judicial requirement was to always have one or two witnesses. Now, in fact, the Old Testament history, uh, you, you couldn't even speak evil of another without a supporting witness or you were subject to a public beating. They were serious. That's one way to stop gossipers. The requirement of two witnesses remained standard judicial procedure among Christians. And so that's really where this comes from. Now, in 2018, how does this work? Well, this is not the concept that you get two or three people you know that would side with you and, and you know, uh, kind of aggressively call someone in and do an intervention and say, this is everything you do wrong. That's not what the scripture means. 
What I believe this means is that you ask someone you trust, someone you can, who can see both sides, someone who's godly, who can kind of serve as a mediator, and you ask them to come with you because you desperately want to make right what's wrong between the two of you. That's your motive. If your motive is to just get people to come on your side, and if you think that if I can just get four or five people to tell them they're wrong, they'll hear me, uh, that is the wrong motive. That's not what this means. What it means is that you desperately want to make right what's wrong between the two of you, and so you ask someone to come with you. You ask them um, to help you filter your words, and you go together and you confront the other person. Now, step three is verse 17. It says, if the offender still refuses to listen, then tell it to the church. And if the church can't convince him of his fault, then treat him as a pagan or a tax collector. Now, for this particular verse, I have a good illustration um, from a sports uh, news um, about seven or eight years ago. So there was a player who played for the Chicago Bears. His name was Tank Johnson. And he had a bunch of legal trouble. Um, He carried a concealed weapon. He resisted police. He had some drug charges and all kinds of things like that. And for months, his behavior continued in the same direction. He was paying insane amount of fines. He was on probation. He had to get permission to leave the state to go to the Super Bowl from a judge. And the NFL commissioner imposed an eight-game suspension at one point on Tank Johnson. And finally, the Chicago Bears had had enough. And they ended Tank Johnson's contract with their team. And the general manager of the Bears uh, said this in a news article. He said, "Um, we're upset. We're embarrassed by Tank's actions last week. He compromised the credibility of our organization. We made it clear to him that we had no room for error. Our goal was to help someone through a difficult period in his life, but the effort needs to come from both sides. It didn't, and we've decided to move on. And um, Coach Lovey Smith quoted saying this, A lot of people within our organization gave extra time and energy to support Tank, players, coaches, and our front office. We did our best to establish an environment for him to move forward, and ultimately Tank needed to live up on his side of the deal. And so this example, the the Chicago Bears didn't let Johnson go for speeding, which is why the police pulled him over. They didn't let him go because of these, these other charges that he had specifically. They let him go because he had become too serious a distraction, that he had become an embarrassment to the team. He was giving the Chicago Bears a bad reputation. And the team decided to disassociate with him after they did all they could so that they didn't set the standard of what players were supposed to be. Now, Jesus is pretty serious about hypocrisy when it comes to people that profess they follow him. And hypocrites are people who claim one thing and live out another. For example, if you claim uh, you can run a six-minute mile, but you refuse to prove it, and then you heckle those less talented athletes like me uh, who can't do it, you're a hypocrite, okay? You, uh, we cannot claim to be one thing and live out another. And so what was happening in this, in this story is that Tank Johnson was saying, I'm a Chicago Bear, but he was not living out the values and the, the, uh, the way that they believe each teammate should do. Now, I was confused for a long time about, uh, about this hypocrisy thing, right? I used to think if I call myself a Christian and I sin, like, doesn't that make me a hypocrite? Because I cannot get it together a lot of days. It's difficult to, to be holy and to work toward this process and still live in, you know, a hum- human body. And I'm claiming one thing and I'm living out another, but here's the clarification. Here's the catch. And here's what I really believe is important for us to understand. I call myself a Christian because I sin and I know I need a savior. 
I would be a hypocrite if I claimed to be a Christian and claimed I never sinned. I would be a hypocrite if I claimed to be a Christian and claimed that I never needed Jesus to forgive me. I'm not a hypocrite if I sin and I'm a Christian. Because that's just me saying, I continually need a Savior. And so what's happening here in the scriptures, people are refusing to listen to the church. They're claiming to be one thing, but they're not living it out. And this is making them hypocrites. And the Christian community must publicly dissociate itself from a habitually sinning, professed Christian. Because if they don't disassociate that person and stop calling them a Christian, then it would start to give Christians a bad reputation. Have you seen this happen before? People, maybe even... Uh, famous televangelists who uh, call themselves Christians but then go out and steal money from other people. That is not being a Christian. That is not being a Christian. And so the Chicago Bears had to disassociate with Tank Johnson or they would start to have a bad reputation. They weren't they weren't helping Tank Johnson by letting him continue to make bad choices or still call himself a Chicago Bear. So yes, as a church body, we need to protect Christ's reputation and we can't call people Christians who aren't so that it's not confusing. However, this is the part of the, the uh, scripture that I think we miss, we, we take uh, for granted, or that we don't really focus on. This is the best part of the scripture. This is my favorite part of the scripture. Matthew is saying, Jesus said, if, even if they will not uh, respond to other people, even if they will not respond to the church, then treat the offender as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now let me remind you, in Matthew 9, 9, Jesus saw a man sitting at the tax collector's booth, and he said, follow me. And his name was Matthew, the man who was recording what Jesus is saying. And later, Jesus is addressing the crowd again in chapter 21, and he says, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And when I read that passage, I think, oh, okay, if someone offends me and won't repent, I can treat them as a pagan and a tax collector, as if like I could just cut them off or tell them that they don't belong in our church or that we cannot have a relationship with them. But what Jesus is saying is there's no getting out of this, you guys. There's, there's no moment where you can completely cut someone off from the hope and the redemption of Jesus. Even when you've done all you can to help someone, the very worst thing that I'm allowing you to do is to just stop calling that person a Christian but continue to beckon them to follow after me. Continue to chase them. Continue to love them. Continue to keep a friendship with them. Continue to show them grace and love and mercy because many of them are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. And so Jesus is reminding us in conflict that even when we get to the final step, that the end result of all of this conflict is continue to love and pursue and help people understand this beautiful grace that Jesus offers. And I'll leave that with you today as a challenge. As you work through the conflict, as you work through the process, don't skip any steps. Trust that God is working. But at the very end of the day, love your enemies. Love those people that you cannot resolve the conflict with, with the love of Jesus Christ, with pursuing, loving, helping them understand who God is. And that will be as we fulfill the commands that God is asking us to do. Have a great day today. Be safe. And we'll see you on Sunday.